we journey abroad, we discover new places and meet fascinating people, but we also gain perspective and take on a wider view of the world around us. That was Trevor Ranges, and I'm Scott Coates. After more than 25 years living and working in Asia, we've developed an amazing network of interesting characters throughout the region. Talk Travel Asia is our way of sharing them with you. Plug in and get connected to hot tips, interesting perspectives, and expert travel advice as we cultivate travel insight through intelligent conversation. Welcome to Talk Travel Asia, episode 69, Skiing in Iran. Iran is likely one of the last places on earth that most people think of taking a holiday in. When George Bush Jr. was president, it became known as the axis of evil. And nowadays, people are taught through TV news that Iran is a growing threat to stability in the Middle East. But those who have met people from Iran realize that the country is largely misunderstood. And today, we have two guests on the show, Americans John Fiddler and Kathleen Egan, who are going to tell us exactly how misunderstood most of us are and will share with us their experience traveling and skiing in Iran. This is Trevor Ranges recording in Scott's home here in Bangkok, Thailand. How are you doing, Scott? I'm doing good, man. We got a cool beverage, and uh, we're recording together, which is always fun. And we're going beyond the borders of what we've chatted about on Talk Travel Asia. We're well out of sort of Southeast Asia and tropical Asia and Japan. We are now way off into kind of northeastern Asia, near the Middle East, right? Yeah, it was really nice. Uh, Some friends of mine, uh, John, I went to high school with in Vermont, and he was passing through Thailand uh, last year, and he left a bunch of gear with me um, while he was traveling around Southeast Asia. And I'm like, what do you need all this gear for? And it turns out that they were going backcountry skiing in Iran. Oh. And you don't need most of that gear when you're in Southeast Asia. Hmm. Um, So... I was pretty excited to hear that they were going someplace that uh, was part of our talk travel realm, cool. um, but was something new. Yeah, I've wanted to go for a long time. I remember I was probably, gosh, I was probably 20 years old. I was a bartender while going to university in Calgary, Canada, and one of the guys I worked with had been there as a backpacker, and he told me about going to Iran, and I just thought it sounded so crazy. but. He kept saying how friendly the people were. I was invited into all these houses for dinner. People were super happy to see me, and he just kept pounding away how nice people were and how exotic it was. And then since there, and I've met numerous Canadians, and everyone has said the same thing. So, you know, I've never been to the Middle East. Obviously, the, the Persian Empire, that's kind of one of the centers of civilization. Yeah. I'd, I'd really, really love to go. I've read a little bit, but I've never heard about skiing in Iran. So I'm, I'm pretty keen to hear what they have to say. Yeah, the skiing part is definitely a twist. You know, I, I studied political science. I worked in Washington. I know the history between the United States and Iran. Um, I don't know if you've seen the film Persepolis. No, I know of it, but I've not seen it. And and I know Iranian people uh, who emigrated to the United States after the 1979 revolution. Yeah. Uh, My understanding was just that, just like, you know, I'm not like Donald Trump and and the Republicans who control the Congress. Yeah. The people of Iran are not like their leaders either. The Mullahs and stuff, And in many ways, uh, the people of Iran are probably more similar to the people of America than either of us are to these elites that that rule our countries, respectively, you know? Yeah. Um, So I I know that it's actually quite a modern society um, and that unlike most other Islamic societies, women there have a right to education, they can drive cars, they can go to nightclubs, uh, they don't have alcohol because they're Muslims who who don't drink alcohol. But um, as 
Muslims, they're very welcoming and warm to, to visitors. I think it's one of the tenets of Islam is that you have to take care of visitors. Yeah. Um, so one of the things that I've also heard is that visitors are very welcome. Yeah, I've heard all those things. I mean, I know they have deserts and high mountains. I've seen pictures of Tehran, and there's good-sized mountains right in the background. And just before we recorded this, I looked, and the highest mountain is over 5,600 meters, and they've got lots of mountains over 4,000 meters. Like, yeah, that's They've got huge. big peaks. Yeah, and then uh, John and Kathleen were nice enough to do a dispatch for Two Magazine, and we'll have a link to the web version of that story. Okay, um, cool. So I've seen photos from their trip, and I've seen they, they took some skiing photos. Yeah. There's some video when they're up on top of Mount Damavan, which okay. is like this huge volcano. Um, and, and the photos of just the mountains, it's, it's really impressive. I didn't think that there would be skiing or good skiing in Iran just off the top of my head, uh, but I'm pretty excited to talk to them about it today. Sweet. Let's bring them in. Seattle-based John Fiddler and Kathleen Egan have been on a quest to sightsee, volunteer, and mountaineer in all corners of the world. While traveling in Patagonia in 2016, John and Kathleen met an Iranian who told them all about his country and its mountains, including Damavand, which John had heard about from a friend years earlier. From that point on, they were obsessed with seeing it and skiing it. They join us by Skype from Seattle. How you doing this morning, uh, John and Kathleen? Uh, morning, guys. We're doing good. Great. Thank you. Good. Thanks for the time change because this means we get to drink beer here in Bangkok. <laughs> While we drink coffee. <laughs> we drink coffee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we briefly mentioned how excited you were to go ski Damavan, but really why did it come an obsession and why did you think it was so special that you were motivated to go somewhere most Americans wouldn't think to travel and would think is just plain crazy? Um, well, partly it was from me having a friend that back in the 90s had gone to Iran and skied Damavan, so the yeah. the concept had been put in my head. Um, and then we've been traveling around for the last couple of years, just adventuring and sightseeing and then also doing some volunteer work. And we're just looking for another adventure. And when we were in Patagonia, we met a Iranian-Canadian who... Um, told us all about his country and Damavant and it kind of put that idea back at the top of my head and as soon as Kathleen heard more about it she was instantly intrigued and we've always had incredible experiences in North Africa and the Middle East so um, it had just kind of made us want to find more cool. um, and then Damavant is the biggest volcano in Asia so the climbing part of me was definitely drawn to that oh so you're climbers too yeah. Yeah, it's what pretty interesting because was... Sorry, go ahead, Kathleen. Uh, what drew me in was the altitude that it was above 18,000 feet. I was drawn by that challenge. And also yeah. that I really didn't realize how much skiing was available in Iran until I started digging a little deeper, and that intrigued me. So I wanted to experience skiing in Iran in its own way. Okay, so it was a kind of com combination of the, the mountaineering and the ability to ski. Exactly. All right, well then, how big of a leap was it from, hey, this sounds like a cool thing to do, to actually putting together a trip and planning it all? Well, it was one of those where we talk about it for months and, you know, even half a year and be like, oh, that sounds like a cool idea. Um, we should do that. And then finally, um, the the time to do Damavan would be in the spring. So finally, in the middle of winter, Kathleen was like, hey, if we're really going to do this, we need to actually sit down and start figuring out the paperwork and stuff so it ended up being a multi-month process but um we started looking into it and we're like all right well this is actually 
possible, hopefully, <laughs> if we can get a visa. Um, but the rest of it's possible. So let's, um, you know, send the paperwork in and see what happens. Mm. And cool. So I mean, what was involved in the planning process? Yeah, like, is there you... is there a U.S. embassy? I mean, is there an Iranian embassy in Seattle, or did you have to no. go to Vancouver or something? No, there's not an Iranian embassy in the states. Um, since 1979, we don't have diplomatic relations, so um, the. Pakistani embassy has an Iranian interests um, section, so that's kind of the contact in the states. But if you're an American, British, or Canadian, or at least this was the rules when we were applying, um, you have to have a government-approved guide with you at all times. So you basically have to set things up through a tour company, mm -hmm. and they're the they're the ones that actually send in all our paperwork to the Ministry of Foreign Affairs or whichever Iranian government agency does all that. Um, and then that process takes like six weeks. They give you a visa authorization number. And then once you have that number, that's the big hurdle. But then once you have that number, then you send your passport into the Pakistani embassy um, to get it actually stamped. Um, so we were in the process of all that when all the travel ban hoopla hit the news and... Uh, our, our passports were literally at the Pakistani embassy when Trump declared his ban, and and then it was up in the air whether we were going to be able to go or not. So how long yeah, from start to finish was the whole process? About two months. Wow. Hmm. So you got to be committed. And there were a few, few days in there where we actually thought we weren't going because the ban had just been put into place, and we had received the visa authorization code, but we hadn't we didn't realize that that actually was the visa because our passports were still in the embassy waiting to get the stamp. So it was a little unnerving. So yeah, there was a bunch of emails back and forth with our tour guides whether it was going to happen or not, but the Iranians um, took the high road and said, yeah, they're going to do a tit for tat. We're not going to give any more visas out, but we will honor the visas we've already issued. So we literally like squeaked in by 48 hours. And, <laughs> and this time period, when did you go there? March. Uh, March. Yeah, middle to end of March. 2017. Okay. All right. 2016. Yeah. 20. No, this year. This year. 17. Oh, it was this year. Yeah, it was yeah. during the Persian New Year called New Rose. That was very interesting as well. So, did you plan what you wanted to do in your trip, or did you have to kind of let them plan it? We hired a um, a tour agency that worked really well with us, and we had ideas of things we wanted to do. Like we wanted to spend half of the trip in the mountains skiing, and the other half doing cultural and sightseeing. And they actually worked with us on an itinerary. We went back and forth a few times, and that was the perfect way for us, actually. Cool, cool. Yeah, because we were curious about that. We were going to ask a little bit later, but uh, you know, if somebody wanted to do a ski trip, we didn't know if it was possible just to be like, hey, I just want to go skiing, or hey, I want to do this, um, and didn't know how controlled the, the tour experience was. I think it's easier to do it that way. Um, to do the combination the way we did it was not not the common way and that was a little logistically more challenging for them but they found that fun too so it was it was nice to see that they could pull it off and we really really loved the way we did it i don't think we would change anything looking back at all cool all right so 
then you, you plan the whole trip out, you get through all the hurdles and the hoops and whatnot, and then uh, you fly to Tehran, I guess, which is the capital. Uh, what was it like when you first arrived in the country? Uh, did you have any sort of trepidation or, or worries or, or, you know, just culture shock in general on your first impression? Well, there's definitely trepidation. And I was, with everything that was going on politically in the world, I'm like, I don't believe this trip is happening until I get through customs in Tehran. Um, you know, I had, I was like, maybe we're going to get turned around at the gate or something. Um, but the, the admission process ended up being kind of amusing. We went into it all nervous and scared and we get there and they're like, Oh, Americans. And they have to start filling out extra paperwork. And then they shuttle us over to the side office and they needed to know what hotel we were staying at. Um, but that information was on my phone, and my phone, I couldn't pull up that email without Wi-Fi, and they didn't have Wi-Fi, so I couldn't find that information out for them. So that was causing issues. And then, uh, again, for a tit-for-tat thing, they fingerprint um, Americans coming into their country, but they couldn't find the ink pad to fingerprint us. So basically, we ended up standing around ch chatting with the customs officials for like 15 minutes talking about our families and whether we had children. And he was very dismayed that we didn't have children and wanted to let us know that it wasn't too late to have ch children um, mm -hmm. and just about our families. And then finally, after 15 minutes, they couldn't figure it out. And they're like, you know what? Forget it. Welcome to Iran. So it was actually a quite welcoming initial experience. <laughs> Slick. So, I mean, the the main goal, it seemed, was to go skiing and climbing at Damavan. So, like, how does that happen? Are there, pardon my ignorance, but are there ski lifts there? Is it a resort? Or are you hiking up and climbing up and then skiing down? Or how does that go down? <laughs> well, how far is it from Tehran? Like, did you have to t get a connecting flight? Did you have to drive for a couple of days? From Tehran, it's amazing. The mountains just shoot right up outside the outskirts of the city and um tochal is a ski area that you can see from downtown tehran um damavan's probably a two and a half three hour drive and it's, it was quite scenic it was a and, nice drive yeah um yeah. but then it, it turns out that iran has over 20 ski areas wow um and that that they actually enjoy skiing there um They've not been able to get a chairlift since 1979, so all the equipment there is um, ancient technology compared to nowadays. But, but Damavand itself, itself is um, their large volcano, and so that is actually a ski touring. So you skin up and then you uh, ski down. So there's no lift service there. But we actually skied to Zine on our way in just to acclimate for... Damavand. But Damavand is a that, full on backcountry resort. Is it yes. And it's it's a great one with the old ancient chairs and, and uh, gondolas. Yeah, Dazine's their biggest ski area and, and probably their most famous one. Um, but then they have a bunch of other ones. Um, Shemshak's another one that's kind of well known that's a little bit steeper. That's the one known for like more advanced terrain and then they have a bunch of tiny little ones with little chairlifts or t-bars that are kind of like little kid family type things um, but Dazine and Shemshak are the big more well-known ones if if you know anything about skiing in Iran <laughs> and the, ter the terrain's pretty good is it is it like Stowe is it like Whistler you know, um, like what, what is it comparable to and how's the snow is it was it dry the snow is wonderful we it was yeah. better than it was here and we had a record yeah. winter uh, with snowfall. So, it's nice and light, actually. 
Yeah, partly we picked Dazeen because the top of that mountain's uh, over 12,000 feet. So we figured it'd be a good place to go ski for a couple of days and get acclimated to the altitude before we tried to go to 18,000 feet. And the first day we got up there, probably midday, it had dumped snow the day before. And, you know, any place in the States gets tracked out within two hours. But even though we got there midday, there was fresh tracks to be had all day. It was probably shin-deep powder, light snow, sunny blue skies. It was a, a perfect day. Um, so we skied there for two days to acclimate before moving over to um, Damavon to actually start trying to climb the mountain. And then Damavon, you, you got a camp. Like, do they have, uh, like, stone huts and, and whatnot that you can stay they in do. while you're up there? Yes. You can bring your own tent. Uh, you would need a four-season tent for sure. There's high winds, and it's very cold, the mountain. But there's also um, a base camp just under 14,000 feet. Uh, that's just a, a pretty rustic um, hut that most people would stay in, a shelter. For big, the most part. Yeah, big stone hut, but bring your warm sleeping bag because it was below, below freezing inside the hut. Yeah, so can you walk us through that experience? I'm kind of having a, like, how many days were you there? Were you, like, skinning up, and then did you climb to the top of the mountain? Or tell us about the trip to Damavan. Yeah, so um, I think we started around 8,000 feet. Um, Sounds about right. And then, yeah, pretty much we could, the the first maybe half mile we had to boot pack in because there wasn't enough snow. But then you, you hit snow and we were able to put our skis and skins on and skin up to the 14,000 foot um, hut. Um, we had a mountaineering guide who, um, his name was Amir, and turns out he's one of the top rock climbers in Iran um, hmm. had done all these incredible first ascents um, and in the last couple of years had switched over in the winter to skiing um, so he was our guide and was phenomenal um, it was really windy and um, kind of ground blizzardy um, so the fact that he was with us to guide us to the hut and us not being lost stumbling around in the wind and cold was, was nice. <laughs> that was really nice. Sure. That was a whiteout in sections. And, so yeah. And then we, <laughs> then we get up to the hut and kind of just acclimate there. Um, we had two days to try and get the, to summit the mountain, um, kind of an attempt in a weather day. Um, and the weather didn't cooperate with us. It was really high winds, dangerously high winds. Um, so we made it up to a little over 15,000 feet before um, we just we weren't going to get any higher. The, the snow up high got pretty icy, and it was just dangerously cold and windy. So that was as high as we got on the mountain. We didn't manage to summit. Um, the next day... I went out again, but conditions were even worse. I knew we weren't going to get to the top. It was just more, let's go out and try and ski a little bit more. Um, mm. And then that was all the time we had um, before we had to go do our cultural part of the tour. But the ski down from the hut back down to the road was, because it had been dumping snow for those two days, was just right. a phenomenal run. Best ever. <laughs> um, Kathleen just had, you could, grinning ear to ear and... Um, powdery conditions. Um, it was it was worth it. Yeah, fourteen thousand feet, roughly, to the road. It was a, a really long run. Yeah, it was, a, it was like amazing. seven thousand foot ski yeah, run. It, it was, was awesome. It was <laughs> incredible. Mm. Very cool. And you've got big packs on your back, I assume, as well. Yes. Yeah, we had our overnight gear, sleeping bags, the, food. They weren't too huge. We did have um, a porter take uh, a load of our heavier gear up to the up to the hut for us so that we could kind of travel with lighter day packs and kind of enjoy the oh, skiing sweet. more 
Um, so we did pay some local shepherds to help haul some gear up to the hut and, you know, kind of help support the local economy too. That's cool. And, uh, before we move on to the cultural part of your, your travels in Iran, um, do you think that Iran's a good destination purely for people to go skiing? Like, is there enough infrastructure there that do people have to bring all their own gear or would it be possible? Are there resorts people could rent gear while they're in Iran? There, there are some ski shops we saw on the way into Dizine, and Dizine is pretty well known um, in Shimshak, but that was closed while we were there. I would say yes. I found the skiing there really nice and the snow was good. I think that the tourism industry is, is in the process of growing, so I, I wouldn't be surprised that they put more resources in to make it easier for tourists. But it was it's, it's such a unique and beautiful place, and the Alborz Mountains are stunning. I would say yes. Yeah, they did have little ski shops where you could rent gear. Um, kind of like I but said. it's just as old as the lift. Yeah, I was going to say, just as like, <laughs> like before, that, that it's yeah. probably some older beat-up equipment. So if you have you know, real ski needs, you want to bring your own gear. But if you're just looking to go ski for a day and have fun on the mountains, I'm sure you could find some equipment that would work. Yeah, it's pretty cool that it's only like two or three hours outside of Tehran. So even mm. if you were just going to Iran for whatever, you could get up there for a day, I guess. Huh? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. And the no. touring, yeah, because our, um, our guide, Amir, he, he lives in Tehran and he goes out and he just climbs over here and there and everywhere. He's pointing his finger in every direction and just does touring on his own so i think that would that would be fun too yeah if, you, if you're a backcountry skier you just looked every direction and drooled there was lines everywhere to be had <laughs> yeah i saw your photos and we'll share some of those hopefully you guys can hook us up with some good photos um to share on our website for our listeners uh just to get some better perspective but yeah they're big mountains and it looks like there's a lot of Oh, it's ski terrain. Yeah, and just to make sure I'm totally clear, like somebody, I mean, you're obviously into the backcountry and, and skiing or uh, skinning up and stuff, but if someone's a, a pure kind of downhill resort type person, you could have numerous fun days like of resort type skiing. Yeah, there's plenty of Europeans that kind of go to just to go ski to Zine. Um, and then again, I wish we wish we had a chance to ski Shemshack, but the mountain was closed while we were there for whatever probably the lift was broken <laughs> um so but um plenty of people just go ski to zine so um yeah if you're just a resort skier you'll, you'll be fine lift ticket prices like they're they're obviously not like 70 dollars a day or 100 dollars a day like in the u.s what was the ticket price to ski up at Dizine? you know it was part of it like because we had this had to do this package tour being americans yeah. it was part of that so um we didn't actually have to pay for the lift ticket. They just kind of brought it to us, but it wasn't, it's not much at all. No, I can't um, but I can't, I can't tell you the exact dollar number. Yeah. And then the women, the women are to ski with the headscarf, the hijab. That's part of the, yeah. the uh, rules there. So that was, that was interesting for me because I had never done that before. So <laughs> that was neat. <laughs> Very cool. Well, so you ski in the two places and then where else did you go in the country? Um, so then after, the week of skiing, basically, we went back down to Tehran and then uh, got on a local flight to Shiraz and kind of flew more into the central part of the country. It was an hour, hour and a half flight um, and then started our cultural part from where we had a second guide meet us whose name also was Amir, which got confusing. Um, okay. And then basically he had his car and we kind of road tripped north back to Iran, seeing, or to Tehran, seeing sights on the way. 
Hmm. And and so tell us about Shiraz. I mean, the name obviously everyone knows it for for wine, but uh, yeah, what, what yeah, do you is, see? Is that where Shiraz wine comes from? Do they do they have vineyards there? They're a Muslim country, right? Does does anyone drink wine? Yeah. No, so you know it's it's Iran, so they're very strict with the Islamic rules. So there is not alcohol to be had. Um, and my understanding from just having read stuff was that um, a lot of the vineyards got ripped up in the at during right around the time of the revolution. Wow! Um, so a lot of those vineyards were destroyed. Um, but that is where the grapes are originally from, then. Yeah, and then uh, also the the northern part of the country. Um, up by the Caspian Sea is more temperate with kind of forests and rain. Shiraz is more down in the desert. So that's interesting. So was it hot down there? I mean, you were up in the mountains and it was freezing cold. They have desert. They have some temperate uh, areas. Did you experience a lot of different climates as you traveled around the country? We did. It was really warm, actually, uh, for us. You know, it gets much warmer, obviously, in the summer. But, um, yeah, we... we um, where I remember we were walking from site to site and sweating and drinking cold water. It was quite a, quite a, quite a contrast from uh, Damavand. <laughs> so what is there to see and do in Shiraz? Paint the picture for us. Um, so Shiraz is one of their big tourist cities. Um, but even though it's a big tourist city, like we would, it was rare we, we would see like a Westerner or European um, and always be like, oh, you know, there, there's one of us. Um, mm. there's, um, like a lot of the cities, there's the, some pretty scenic and famous moss. Um, there, the some bizarre. of the gardens, the um, bizarre. the bazaars are always cool to just go in and just see what is for sale. And, um, you know, just the, these old bazaars that have been there for a thousand years and the little old ladies are still going down there shopping to get their morning vegetables and, um, you know, the, and each little stall is that's their specialty. Going to be a copper pot maker, just spices, huge piles of spices. Um, so it's both um, scenically color, visually stimulating to go in there and just um, wild to to see the people and everything. And then wherever we went, we ended up being a tourist attraction for the locals. Yeah, what was that like? I mean, this is obviously a very foreign land. You visited me when you were here in Bangkok, but Bangkok's very modern and Western. Um, did this feel very different to, to, to obviously Bangkok or New York or some Seattle or something like that? Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, it's foreign like Thailand, but Thailand was, you know, they're used to tourists there, where yeah. in Iran, um, really, tourism's only really started up in the last five years. Um, and then we went there during Nuru's, which is the Persian New Year. And we were warned not to go during that time because it's so busy because like every Iranian's on vacation and they're all being tourists within their own country. So the roads are busy and the sites are busy, but that meant we ended up meeting and seeing people from all over Iran, not just the locals of that city. And they would see that we were Westerners and they'd always be like, oh, where are you from? And the first couple days or week we'd always like kind of put our hands over our mouth and be like um we're american you know kind of and be embarrassed or a little bit scared to say that um and people's eyes would light up they would get so excited that they had met an american um so we would have at times like in the bazaars people would find out you could hear the americai americai like going through the crowd and we would have a line of people wanting to take selfies with us mm. So they don't uh, say you're from the great Satan when they meet you face to face. 
No, it is the <laughs> a absolute opposite reaction. Yeah, you know, very friendly, very wise. They're well read and understand politics, and they really just separate the people from the government. They're really good about that. Yeah, I remember in the dispatch you said something about someone saying that now we have our own Ahmadinejad. Yeah. Several people have said yeah, that. Yeah, that was said a couple of times where they would laugh about Trump and say, yeah, now you have your own Ahmadinejad and you will know what it is like. <laughs> a president who speaks with his heart and not his brain. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's good. So I, I, we mentioned it in the introduction a little bit, but... Uh, yeah, the Iranian people that I've known, they're very warm and welcoming. And, and I think just in general, even when I've been to, I've been to some remote areas of China and they're just so shocked to see a white person and they would just walk up to me and start shaking my hand um, just because they thought it was so cool to have someone come and visit their their town. So I guess it was kind of that same experience for you or wherever you guys went. And, very and, much so, very, very much so. And the friendliest and the kindest and warmest and most genuine it's unbelievable what we experience. Like, I can't even articulate it. I mean, I, I just wish everybody could experience this kind of hospitality. And, and it was everybody. It wasn't just the, you know, the more educated class. It was um, clerics that we met, um, some of the more religious people, uh, as Iranians like to say, men with beards, um, where, like, they couldn't shake Kathleen's hand because it was forbidden them for them to touch a woman, but they all would put their hand over their heart and bow and say, you're most welcome. And 100% um, 100 interactions that we had with people were positive. We never had anybody kind of snub their nose at us because we're American or anything. It was just nothing but welcome to Iran. You know, thank you for coming and seeing what it's really like. And they were very curious, too. Like, I think if there wasn't the language barrier for... For us, we would have had some even more fascinating conversations, but that's where our guide came in handy because we really wanted to have some good discussions with people when, it, when we had the opportunity, and that was really nice to have the translation rather than if we were on our own where we couldn't. What, what would you say the highlight of the whole experience, like highlight slash biggest surprise? The people. Yeah, the, the people, people and the reception. Unbelievable. I'm the biggest, biggest fan. I can't wait to go back. It's the people. It really is the people. We've never, and we've been very fortunate to travel around much of the world now these last few years, and this is a standout for us. It really is. Okay. Wow. Cool. That's what I've heard from everyone who's been to Iran, is the people. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, so then do you have any tips for people that might want to plan to do a trip there? The first tip, I mean, if you're thinking about doing it, just do it, like, you know, our my dad thought for sure we were going to be arrested and never come back. And my mom's a little more open-minded about traveling, but I think everybody was pretty nerve family-wise was nervous. And even um, when we were in Iran, we would meet some French French people that you know they don't have as much of the politics going on, and their families all thought they were crazy for going to Iran. But everybody had the mm. same experience of just nothing but hospitality and welcoming. So if you think about doing it, try to do it. Yeah, the visa thing is going to be the big hurdle with all the geopolitics going on, and depends on what what's going on that week probably. But if right, you can so get a, a visa, the, do it. My tip would be for the American, British, Canadian groups uh, to start early because it can take. We, you know, it took us about two months, but ours was pretty efficient and we had help. But um, I've heard it can take longer for some. So just to plan in advance and to keep all that organized um, and for everybody else just to go. I mean, I hope everybody can experience that kind of a warm welcome and the kindness because it just, 
it makes you want to reciprocate wherever you go moving forward. And, and I, I, I think that it would mm. help just so much with the, the misunderstandings and, and fear and all those things that are, that are happening all around the world. I think that I would highly encourage people to go and experience Iran. It's very, very safe. What, what, are, what are the costs like? Is it an expensive place? For Americans, British, and Canadians, it's not cheap because you do have to have a guide with you at all times and just that whole process. But hmm. for um, the rest of the, the world, it, it's actually very inexpensive. You can have a delicious meal for you know a few dollars each day, and, and the hostels and hmm. accommodations aren't expensive either. So it's very affordable for, for the rest of the people. Um, for us, it wasn't cheap, though. Okay, great. Well, I, I mean, you've ticked off one of my, my dream boxes here. Uh, yeah, fantastic. Yeah, I we're kind of lucky here because uh, Thai Air Asia flies from Bangkok to Tehran. Um, so next time you guys are planning to go to Iran, maybe you want to go back <laughs> yeah, to Bangkok and come visit us again. Maybe we'll join that you on be that fun. trip. Because, uh, yeah, I know some Iranian people and, and they've been great and and i just know that in general the people of the middle east are, are incredibly welcoming um so and i haven't skied in like 20 years now so you know maybe i'd have to borrow some of your oh, like i said they have they have plenty of baby <laughs> resorts to like get your legs back yeah. under you. <laughs> well that's super cool one i commend you for going and two for doing something really different there like backcountry skiing and some climbing and stuff that's that's super cool. And thanks so much for sharing uh, the story with us. That's really yeah, great. No, we were just trying to get the word out there and try and change some of these preconceived notions about Iran because we just found out that everything we've ever been taught by by the media and and kind of American version of thing is pretty much a thousand percent wrong. <laughs> I mean politic you know, historically there's faults on both sides for why things are the way they are um but when it comes to the people and just traveling in the one-on-one interaction i there's no place like it well we're glad that you went i couldn't think of two better ambassadors from uh our part of the world to go and visit iran so Pretty cool. uh we're glad you went we're glad you had a good time yeah, thanks. And we're glad thank you, you came so on much. the show all right it yeah was nice to be here thank you so much thanks guys well, I'm really glad that we had John and Kathleen on the show to talk about their trip. Uh, I saw the photos as they did the dispatch in the magazine, and uh, it just looked awesome. The mountains looked huge. I haven't skied in years, but it made me want to ski again. Yeah, absolutely. We've expanded the Talk Travel Asia actual kind of area we've spoken yeah. about. And, uh, you know, I mentioned it earlier, but for me, Iran's sort of been on the top five dream countries to go to. And if you can do a pretty cool activity when you're somewhere that sort of really kind of ups a destination a bit and they certainly did something pretty cool right not only skiing but they kind of were doing skinning up a mountain and trying to climb to the top and uh yeah really really neat trip and nice people yeah i'm just talking about like a iranian bazaar you know you can't mm. imagine like how cool it must be these spice markets and stuff like that it's just definitely an exotic place to visit and uh, like you said i'm glad we're expanding out of the tropical Asia part, you know, we yeah, do a little yeah. bit in Iran. Occasionally, we do a little bit in like Korea, Japan. Uh, I'm excited. Hopefully, we can get uh, our friend on to talk about skiing in Kamchatka, on in the, uh, Russia, right? Yeah, up in Siberia. Um, Asia is a big place, and, and there's a lot of things going on. And I'm glad we're expanding into to some of the colder realms. Yeah, definitely interesting. And one of the big things is not to listen to the media necessarily now. I think I met my first Canadian who went to Iran like more than 20 years ago. First thing he said was, wow, so friendly. People were super nice. I was invited into so many homes for dinner. 
don't listen to what the media tells you. And it's just continually confirmed and confirmed. Like, governments are only a small number of people representing a nation. You get somewhere, people just want to meet other people, and people are people. Yeah, you know, it's a... I don't know, a bit of a shame that you have to go through a, a booking agent or a tour yeah, company. A wee bit but of a at the same time, you know, like it sounded like they put together a pretty good trip for them. And mm. if you can explain what you want to do and, and if you can get through all the hoops and hurdles of the visas and whatnot, uh, it's just an Air Asia flight away. Yeah, I'm sold. Uh, it's still in my top five. I want to go. And thanks for getting your friends on. So, uh, yeah, great, great episode. Yeah, and everybody, if uh, you're listening to this through Facebook or just from SoundCloud, uh, go to our website. We have a Google map of all the destinations that they visited. Yeah. Uh, we're going to have a photo gallery of all the pictures on Facebook and on the website. Uh, so go to uh, TalkTravelAsia.com and uh, check it out. Yep. So back in two weeks with another episode. Until then... From Bangkok, this is Scott Coates saying thank you for listening. Um, from across the table in Bangkok, this is Trevor Ranges. Thanks for listening. Thanks for joining us on Talk Travel Asia. We look forward to sharing with you again soon. Hey, Scott, do you remember the time we walked on top of the wall at Angkor Thom in Cambodia? 